0: that was awesome. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, So we're continuing on. What's in a name? For we are his canvas. We walked through last week. And I'm only going to do four words today. Created in Christ Jesus. But before we get to the passage, if you'll allow me, I'd like to set it up a little bit. Um, They always say that, that you haven't done your job of preaching if you don't apply it by the end that you can teach without applying, but if you're going to preach, there has to be some kind of application. But I want to try to just set the context of application for us, if I can. Um, Well, if you've ever worked with uh, parents of adoptive children where the child has had significant trauma, you realize that the traumatic event or events in the life of a newborn, of a very young child, um, has far-reaching impact past the event. That that, um, when we are born, while we're fully intact as a human, uh, even out of the womb, um, neurological connections get made. Uh, It's why with, like, language, infants will make just about every sound that you hear throughout the globe, and those that are reinforced, they, they make more. And those that aren't reinforced, they don't make. And it's why, you know, you, if you go to Africa, you probably can't do African clicks. Uh, I don't hear the tones in some languages. As an infant, I would have, but, and so, but that's true for more than just language. It's true for so much. And so, trauma wires our brain. There are neurological pathways that are created. Just as um, uh, loving parenting, uh, an infant, desperately needs to be celebrated and delighted in. It's why God built them with eyes that are much bigger in relation to their head than anything else. I mean, a baby's eyes, you look at their eyes and you're just like, Oh, and you delight in them. And I don't understand how it is, but they perceive it. And they learn that they're valuable. And they don't do anything but cry and poop and eat. But they're valuable. And they, and they get that because you, oh, you're so cute. Oh, look at you. Oh, let me have a no, you know. And, and, and their brain is wired that neurological synaptic connections happen. But the reality is that whether it is the good stuff or the bad stuff, our brain gets wired. And if you read your Bible, you are well aware that we live in a broken world. We live in a context where there's lots of opportunity to experience brokenness. In fact, I would argue that, that all of us in some way are broken. All of us in some way have received wounds and just as that extreme case of being the foster parent of a of a child who was profoundly neglected or 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 the the victim of of some kind of awful assault and treatment as an infant, and that and that and, and behavior continues on, and they don't even understand it, they don't get it, but it's there. It's just this, that that that's the extreme case, but that. Reality of wounding in our life is just part of being human. And my experience in ministry, while I teach theology and I believe in theology, I teach the Bible, I believe in the Bible, we talk about what, what God does and who God is, that many of us live our behavior more out of our place of wounding than we do out of the theology we proclaim. It's By the way, it's why the Romans 7 man shows up. So I'd like to talk just to set up a little bit about. Um, so I, I spent um, a decade and a half working with pastors in traumatology because pastors are uh, some highly traumatized people. Uh, they put one of the hats that a pastor wears an appropriate hat. Um, you know, pastors wear lots of hats. I mean, today I was baptizer. Uh, right now I'm, I'm a preacher. Uh, a few days ago I was counselor. Um, one of the hats you wear is toxic sponge. And it's an appropriate hat. People come, they have toxicity, they have pain, they have hurt. And and as a a spiritual caregiver, and it's not just pastors, small group leaders do this, um, parents do this. Um, But but pastors get a lot of it. Counselors do this. And, And that's appropriate and right, but the reality is that if you don't have a place to squeeze that toxic sponge out and clean it, over time it degrades the sponge. And so I had the privilege for years, over a decade, of working with pastors who never had a chance to squeeze out that sponge, and out comes all kinds of toxic stuff because they didn't deal with it. And in it, we talk about different kinds of wounds. There's wounds of aggression. That's where you get what you didn't need get what you didn't deserve. And in particular, when that wound of aggression comes from an authority figure, a parent, an uncle, a clergy, a doctor, a coach, and we see it in the news all the time, that it has profound ramifications in the life of the person. Uh, Have you ever been talking with someone and and you misstate something, you forget something, you do something, and it's a level three event and you get a level nine response. You ever been there? I mean, do you hear what I'm saying? You get the concept? That's often growing out of some kind of wound. That that this level three event has touched something inside of me that's been wired in unhealthy ways, in broken ways. And so I react out of this, this, you know, level nine. When it's just a level three. I was uh, working with, we had a couple come to our church, and the the gentleman was an amazing uh, guitar player. Amazing. And he had abilities to lead a congregation in worship that were, he he just, he he was anointed, he got the gift, uh, he was good at it. Uh, His guitar, I mean, he would be playing a song and leading worship and he would end the song and the keyboardist would just like be doing a little noodling to do the transition. And while he's talking about the next song helping us enter into worship, he would retune his guitar by ear without even one of those little clicky things down at his feet and get it in a, a different key so he could play a different song. I mean, he was that good. And he was in my office, and, and he'd only been there for about three or four weeks, and he wanted to lead our worship, and I, that's not the way we do it. That uh, competency is an important part of leadership, but there's character. Uh, there's demonstration of character over time. Um and I don't know exactly what I said, but but it was a level three event with a level nine response. And he and his wife was there. She was calm, but he was reading me the riot act and just, just really laying into me. And at some point, my training kicked in. I'm like, oh, this is classic transference. Some pastor did him the dirty in the back. Some pastor did something to him last year a decade ago three decades ago I don't know maybe a series of pastors but but he transferred that on to me and out of it I see some people shaking their head you've experienced this 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 typical transference um, can Jesus address that? Um, second kind of wounding, wounds of withholding, uh, not getting what you needed. And again, particularly in early development, if you've ever worked with parents who take a, a child later, and, and every child is different. Everyone reacts differently, or same stimuli, different response. It's kind of like blood pressure medication. You know, It works in this person. It doesn't work in this person. You don't know why, because people are just different. People respond differently. But, but if you've ever worked with a, 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 an adopted child who has attachment disorder, you can do everything right as a parent. You can be over the top, everything right, and you still, this, this wound of withholding that happened when they were young can have impacts. Their brain gets wired. Um, by the way, uh, you know i said with a child that the, their eyes are big and you really need to be laid over them it's one of their developmental needs to know that they're loved and safe and secure and and cared for and 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 just you know the the party began because they're in the room uh, do you know that's true spiritually as well when you get a spiritual new birth someone who comes new into faith the church really needs to just oh you're so wonderful I mean, they need celebrated and delighted over. And, and that's why some of us who, who met the Lord in a legalistic context where you're, you're brand new to the faith and, and these legalistic structures require that you live like an adult when you're still spiritually pooping in your pants. And no one is, I mean, they're not rejoicing over you. Are, am, are you hearing me? Um, you don 't have to agree with me, but are you hearing me? Okay. am I connecting um, these kinds of and there's also there's there's lots of other wounds there's um tr- uh, event trauma you know you get into a car accident and i I actually got into a car accident. it was my fault was in chicago i didn 't see him I pulled out and and it was not severely traumatizing, but it was traumatizing enough that three weeks later i 'm in my My uh, uh, living room, uh, Chicago, you're close to the road, and I hear this, and my whole body, tensed up. Which, I mean, the car's not going to come through the window and hit me on the couch. Uh, Logically safe, but event trauma, you get it. Um, This kind of trauma can be both individual and it can be collective. Uh, I worked with uh, an African-American bishop, uh, out of Columbus, uh, Dr. Burns, amazing, amazing man of God, and he was in one of my cohorts as we were working with pastors about their own trauma. And one of the exercises we would do is what you find in the Psalms—they would write a lament. The Psalms are full of laments, and he wrote a lament. And his his lament was about way back when, when he was marching with Dr. King. It was a peaceful march. And the National Guard were called out and they got water cannons, and dogs and released them on them. Can you imagine the tra- the trauma of an authority figure for a collective people? And those, those kinds of things can not just be in an individual, but they can be actually in a community. And we're going to see this. I'm, I'm going to take you to the passage and you'll see what I'm talking about. So here again, the, the wounds of withholding. Does Jesus have something to bring to the table on that? Okay. Um, the really good thing is that while trauma creates ruts in our brain, um, and we walk down those pathways without even realizing we're walking down, and it's why coping mechanisms as a child become so problematic as an adult. You realize they're problematic as an adult, and yet the, your brain is just has these ruts, these neurosynaptic connections and you you default to them and, and you know that it's not working here it's actually creating more problems but it's what you learned back here the nice thing is folks that when god made us he uh, he made us with an elastic brain your brain through super and natural everything you know everything supernatural has a super part and a natural part uh, don't ever try to do the super part that's god's job but don't ever think that you don't have a natural part in that. I I I like the metaphor of it's like I'm sailing and I can't I can't blow the boat across the lake, but if I don't put up the sails, it's not going anywhere. So putting up the sails doesn't make me go anywhere. Putting up the sails just captures the wind that God sends. And so as God sends, we we He does the super, we do the natural. And it's wonderful that he realized that, that he was creating a world that was going to fall, it was going to be broken, and sin was going to come, and people were going to hurt one another, and peoples were going to hurt one another, and, and it was going to affect the way our brain is made. But he made us elastic because he knew that he was going to send a redeemer who was going to help rewire our brains to be that image bearer that is not as, doesn't demonstrate the brokenness as much as it did prior to salvation and sanctification. And by the way, glorification, that'll all be gone, but we got a little ways till we get there, I think. We got some work in the city first. Okay, Ephesians 2, verse 10. Um, you'll remember that I talked about uh, 2.10 being a linchpin passage, Last, if you were here last week, that 1 through 9 is really about individual salvation. Uh, It's about the need for me to to get saved, for by grace through faith, not of works, not of yourselves. You remember that? that? And then I made the comment, and I didn't show you, but I made the comment that 11 through 22 is about a collective salvation. It's about Christ dealing with the collective trauma that he wanted to remove in the Church of Jesus Christ, because we are his canvas, we are his new creation, we are his, his wonderful display that, that he is doing. And then he tells us about this canvas, his canvas is, and here are the four words for today, created in Christ Jesus. Let me start with a collective piece if I can. So collectively, and I'll walk through this fairly quickly. Uh, Corey, are you still in here? Uh, you sermon two weeks ago. You uh, you you used two D's, and you said that Ryan taught you that you always had to use these two D's. And I liked it when I saw it, but I can't remember what they were. Do you remember the two D's? Yeah, dedicated dependency. And then you said, "Oh, and Ryan taught me that this is the way you do it when you preach. That that there are these these mechanisms to help people remember things. That was really good. Well." The, the Jews actually had mechanisms as well, and their mechanisms were a little more elaborate because most people didn't read, and if they did read, they didn't have access to books. And so many of them would, would remember things, and there are ways that you can remember things. My kids used to sing this song about all 50 states, and they could, they could literally get them, like like from the northwest to the, the central, to the, I mean, they could plot them all the way around the country with a song, I guarantee, well, I shouldn't say I guarantee you. Unless you're a homeschool mom, you probably can't do that. Um, so, the Jews used something called chiasm. It's a, it's a literary mechanism to show what's important, and you see it all over the Bible. And I'm going to show you one in Ephesians, chapter 2, and it's going to tie into this collective nature of, of of being created in Christ Jesus. Because not only are you individually created in Christ Jesus, you, the church, is created in Christ Jesus. And these words, in Christ Jesus, are really profound. So, let me take you through it if I can. Um, So, if you look at verse 11 through 22 you find this structure where what's brought in in the very beginning is closed out at the end. We call it A and A prime. And then he brings in B, something important, and you'll see it again down below. And then C, and then C prime, and then D and then D prime, and then E, and then E prime. And eventually you get to the center, and the center is actually what he's trying to emphasize in the passage. So the structure that they would be aware of was something that they would they would see it, they would hear it, they would know it, they'd remember it. And so I, I want to unpack this one for you if I can, but I, I want to do it in a way that helps us understand um, this this collective nature of our own brokenness that, that Paul was dealing with back then. He said, you Gentiles were separated from Christ. At the end, he's going to talk about you're joined together. You do realize the profound racism that was inherent as you read the New Testament between the Gentiles and the Jews, I hope. Uh, thing, things get inbred into you as, as a child when your brain gets, gets wired, and in your community as things get wired, and you take on these assumptions that you then live out of. And for a Jew, Gentiles were referred to as what God created as fuel for the fires of hell. It was unlawful for a Jewish person to assist a Gentile woman in childbirth lest they help another one come into the world. Uh, There were some contexts where you broke outside and you married outside of your Judaism into the Gentile context and they would have a funeral for you. Even the law says you enter a Gentile home and it renders you unclean. And imagine if if that's the culture in which you're brought up in. Now, while most of us probably have not been brought up in that culture relative to Jew and Gentile, maybe some of you have, I don't know, uh, but we do have it here in our country with racism. It's rampant. And it's, it's, it's wiring from early on, where we have this distrust, this dislike of people who aren't like us. Um, I remember I was in my, my mother's living room, and one of her friends, uh, absolutely delightful lady, I mean, one of the nicest ladies I've ever met, was sitting there. My kids are like 8, 9, 10, something like that. She grew up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, or she lived in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, at a, in the 60s and 70s at a time when if you were black, you didn't go in certain neighborhoods, and if you were white, you didn't go in other neighborhoods. And she's sitting there, she's talking about this man that she had met, and she said, and and he was black. And my kids kind of look at her, and I kind of look at her. She said, I'm not racist or anything, but, I mean, he was really black. She couldn't even hear herself. And afterwards, my 8-year-old daughter and my 9-year-old daughter and my 11-year-old son, when we were alone, said, what was up with that? Where did that come from? She couldn't even hear it because this, so... Imagine Paul is speaking to a church that has been raised to hate the other. To despise the other. I, I want to try to illustrate this for you. It's really hard. So, do you know what balut is? Okay, we got one. Yeah, yeah, I told you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you ever eaten balut? Not on, Not on your list. So, in the Philippines... If you're there in the evening, you'll hear people walking up and down the street going, balut, balut. It's a delicacy. It's something that they love. It's something they think is absolutely wonderful. I mean, just delight in it. It's um, it's a duck egg that's been gestated 16 days and soft-boiled. Yeah, I'll quickly switch that one. You get the context. If I showed that in the Philippines, they would start to salivate, folks. That Your brain's been wired to not like balut. By the way, Jesus has not healed that part of my wiring yet. I had it once. In fact, people will tell me if I'm coming to their house, anything you don't eat, balut. Pretty much anything else, I'm good to go. Okay, they were separated from Christ, joined together. Excluded from citizens, later on in the passage, fellow citizens. Foreigners of the covenant, no longer foreigners. You can just see this thing going. Here's the, the, the switch. There's a, there's a switch in this passage on both sides. But now in Christ, and on the back side, consequently. Once far away, now near, peace to the far and near. Do you, I mean, do you see this thing building? Can you imagine how helpful this would be if you're an oral uh, culture to be able to remember what what Paul, I mean, you hear it read when you come to church on Sunday, but you don't have one of those to go check it out. And so you remember it. He is our peace, making peace and reconciling. And then he finally gets to the place where here's the crux, and I'm going to read the passage. He destroyed the dividing wall. And that doesn't sound like that incredible, but let me read it for you. If you have your Bible you can turn to Ephesians chapter two or turn on your Bible and scroll through it till you find it. And I'm I'm gonna start I think it's I know I wrote it down. Um like around thirteen, something like fourteen. So here the crux, the climax, the the heart of what he's saying. By abolishing in his flesh the hostility, which is a law composed of commandments expressed in ordinances, so that he himself might make the two one new person. In this way, establishing peace, that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. These two people who were raised to hate each other, that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the hostility. Folks, it is through the act of Jesus Christ that he supernaturally began the process of rewiring cultural brains, cultural milieu to be one body. And our part is the natural part and the supernatural. Uh, you'll hear us talk a lot here about spiritual disciplines or means of grace. Uh, God desires to impart grace through the things that we do. And so as we begin to live into this collective reality, we always remember it's what God has done himself. Um, Jewish religion was a religion of walls. This is the, the temple or the tabernacle and you know that there are all these walls. If you're the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Uh, the special priest could go into the little square box next to him, the holy place. Only the Levites could go in the bigger box that surrounds them. Uh, only the, the men could go in that next box, and then the women, and then the Gentiles had to be outside. But in the Gospel, when Jesus was crucified, it says that the veil between the Holy of Holies and the holy place was torn from top to bottom. God did it. It tells us that, that there is a priesthood of all believers that it's no longer just the Levites but but all believers can enter into this holy place. But then he says in, in Galatians that neither there's neither male nor female in Christ Jesus eliminating that wall that was physical in the temple that they could see of division. And not only that, but there's no Jew or Gentile. That all these walls are removed because in Christ there is now a new creation. Created. In Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus has begun the process of rewiring his people to no longer live the way they used to live, where they were traumatized to live, or they experienced in the past. It's a new person. Okay. I'd like to run through the individual really quick. And I'm long... Forgive me. It's Corey's fault. He talked too long. Actually, you were right on the money. I, t- I timed you. You were, you were, you asked permission and you took it. And yep, the so next time you can do it again. Okay, so there's a sense in which which we want to be whole, and we recognize that that we're broken. Uh, Augustine called it the God-shaped vacuum that. We, we recognize that we're not all that God wants us to be. We want to be all that God wants us to be, and yet you you feel it. And so most people try to stick things in there. Uh, some people will use illicit relationships. They really want to be loved. They want to be known. And so illicit relationships. It might be an adulterous affair. It might be a, a pre-affair. I mean, uh, but it could be other things. Um, we might we might stick job in there and significance in my job. Um, uh you ever meet a workaholic? We have any of those here? Yeah. That that work can actually become your God. You know, in the church, one of our two of our favorite sins in the church, and we will actually give pastors raises for these sins: performance addiction and people pleasing. We try to. You can even stick try to stick religion in that place. And yet we recognize that it never quite fills it up. It never quite satisfies. And so our our, our hope, whoops, ah, how do you back this up? Oh, well. Our hope is that somehow God makes us whole again. And folks, God's plan is not to make you whole again. Oh, he backed it up for me. Wow, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because we still see this, we, we ah. Because you are not, you're not created you're not for we are his canvas created to be whole again but for we are his canvas created in Christ Jesus paul says that when i am weak i am strong that this in christ jesus is is the definition of of all that we are in the kingdom of god we are forgiven in him we are holy In him. We are justified in him. And the truth here, folks, is not that God removes that place of brokenness, but that very place of brokenness becomes a docking station for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus steps into that place of pain, and he connects with us. Those woundings of aggression that maybe we've experienced, those woundings of neglect, that Jesus says, will you open up that place of pain and that place of hurt for me? Because we are his canvas created in Christ Jesus. God wants access. You know, um, I'll try to just give one more illustration. And I know last time Ryan told me I said one more illustration and then I gave two. So I won't do that. In some ways, it's kind of like like walking the tightrope with this big bar, and on the one side, you're loved as you are. But on the other side, God loves you so much, he wants you to be so much more. On the one side, you, you just belong, uh, like the little infant. But anyone who's ever raised an infant knows you don't want if if at year five they're still pooping in their pants, if at year twelve they're still pooping in their pants, there's probably a problem. We need to do something that God calls us on. Higher calling. I love Paul in Philippians three nine and then three twelve and three nine. It's the righteousness of God through faith. It's what he does. But in 312, we press on to apprehend, to grab a hold of what God has apprehended us for. Grab a hold of us for. It's a challenge of parenting, isn't it? My saddest moment in parenting, well, not my saddest, one of my saddest moments, was when my daughter came home with a report card. She had like four A's and two B's. And I said, oh, this is so good, Catherine. Well done. You know, nice job. Um, Boy, look at this. That's great. Um, Tell me about these B's. And she turned to her mother and she said, I'm never good enough for him. Isn't that the balancing act? I I, I, I want to see her better. But, all oh, my word, she good just the way she is. God wants you to be better. But, oh, he loves you just like you are. And in fact, that brokenness that you have, if you'll open it to him, he will enter it. And he will begin the supernatural process of, of transforming your weakness into his strength. That besetting sin is probably driven by something that hurt you way back when. If you, you know, we, we try to overcome the sin by just white-knuckling it. And God says, no, 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 no. Someone said to me a long time ago, God cares less that you sin than why you sin. Because he wants to get at the root that's driving it in you. So I'd like to give you a protocol. Can we just take a minute? Can we close your eyes? And I'd like you to ask the Lord in your heart to identify if there is a broken piece in you that's allowing a besetting sin to take root. That talk. Is there a wound? Allow the Lord to identify it. Some of you had it right away. Some of you are still wondering. I encourage you today to open up to the Lord and what he might have for you. Step one is allowing the Lord to identify. Step two is welcome Jesus into that place of wounding. Invite him. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't come unbid. Invite him. This is the closet that you've been hiding. Open it up. And welcome them into it, because you're created in Christ Jesus. Or a canvas, created in Christ Jesus. And if you can boil that down to one word or one phrase, what is that place where you want the Lord to deeply touch you? And when we leave today or you're sitting there and you have a pen and paper, just write it down in one word. And then step three, tell the Lord that you choose to look and listen this week to what he might be saying or doing relative to that one word, that one thought, that one phrase. And then at the end of the day, each day this week, just pull that card out. Review your day. See if the Lord showed up. If the Lord said something. If the Lord provided something. If the Lord touched something. Because we are created in Christ Jesus. We're created in Christ. Jesus. Be thy seamanship.